Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. I'm founder and president of the Ruth Institute, and I'm pleased to be here today with the pro-life team to talk with you about things that will help pregnancy care centers be ready for any kind of legal challenges that might come down your well, down the pike, and also to deal with the many LGBT issues that are landing on the doorsteps of this great movement of pregnancy care centers in the United States. So, uh, Dr. Jennifer Morse, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team podcast today. Would you introduce yourself as if you were speaking to a group of pregnancy clinic executive directors and leadership teams? Uh, my name is Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse. I'm founder and president of the Ruth Institute. We are an interfaith, international coalition to defend the family and build a civilization of love. And I recently had the privilege of addressing a group of pregnancy care centers and their executives and their volunteers uh, in Cincinnati and Dayton. I provided their annual training for them, and they wanted me to talk to, with them about LGBT-related issues. They're usual people who came to offer them training in the, you know, the many aspects that people have to deal with in the, in the pregnancy care center world. Um, the questions that the that the ladies had this year having to do with LGBT issues, their usual people didn't feel qualified to answer. So um, I'm like the only person on planet Earth who can answer these questions. So <laughs> I think we should, um, you know, get zoomed in and focused on those things that I, I think may be on a lot of people's minds. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, <clears throat> about three months ago, I went to every abortion clinic website I could as part of a research project, and I discovered um, unintentionally that a majority were offering hormone blocks mm -hmm. and hormone ads, and that was and that sort of you know made me realize, oh wow, we really need to figure out how to respond to our opposition um, promoting tea as an LGBT. So would you, yeah, would you just go ahead and start from wherever you think is appropriate, maybe in the beginning of yes. this? Yeah. And just go ahead and tell us what you, what you yes. know, what you understand and how this, and how this will help pregnancy clinic leadership teams um, get a grasp, a grasp of this, um, this new scenario. Well, so the first thing I can tell you about that is that a couple of years ago, we became aware of what you just said, um, that. Uh, hormone prescribing hormones, cross-sex hormones, but more than puberty blockers, I suppose. But but prescribing hormones has become a big cash cow for Planned Parenthood. And just as you mentioned, the the sidewalk counselors—that's who we first heard it from. We had a conference, and we had people from different aspects of the sexual revolution. You know, people dealing with different. This is all one giant thing, and nobody can be informed about everything. So getting all the people in the room together is very helpful. Um, but we had some um, sidewalk counselors who were saying to us, you know, look, we don't know what to say because we've noticed that uh, every Friday at this particular clinic, um, the people coming in are all people coming for trans-related medicine, prescriptions, hormones. That's what they're coming for. They're not coming for pregnancy tests or whatnot. Um, and, and we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do for them. So we, in collaboration with our friends at the American College of Pediatricians, we put together a pamphlet that sidewalk counselors can use. And you can get that on the Ruth Institute website. Um, and we have a website kind of behind that pamphlet, and it's called transregret.com, um, transregret. And basically, the point of that pamphlet is to get people 
to slow down before they do something irrevocable to their bodies. And it's written for, you know, a, teen or a teenager. It doesn't have a lot of scientific jargon and stuff like that, although we do have references for that. Um, but it's, it's meant to just slow it, just to ask questions in the person's mind. You know, will I be okay? Will I be happy? Are there other solutions? Um, you know, should I get a second opinion? You know, that kind of thing. So that's one thing that the Ruth Institute has to offer that um, the pregnancy care clinics, I, I don't, I don't know if all of them are involved with sidewalk counselors, but probably a lot of them are. Uh, but but this is for the use of the sidewalk counselors to, to hand people as they walk in. Um, the other thing that I did when I spoke with the with the um, clinic workers in Cincinnati and Dayton is I put together a four part presentation, which you can get at the Ruth Institute. Um, and it's on our podcast page. You go to ruthinstitute.org. You look for podcast. And you'll find the audio. It's audio only. They they didn't do um, you know a visual like we're, what we're doing here. But I included the slides so you can follow along with the slides. And the slides have all the references that I, all the studies and all of that stuff that I talk about is all referenced there in the slides. And you can easily download them for yourself. So it might be um, helpful, uh, Jacob, for us to kind of just go through what were those four talks about and you know, um, why people might need this information and that kind of thing. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that? That, think yeah, good... that sounds good. And I would say there's probably two like, well, <clears throat> there's two likely scenarios, definitely the sidewalk counselor who will experience people going for transgender services. And that's um, important to offer a healthy alternative. But then there's also, I recently interviewed a pregnancy clinic, um, uh, I guess I forget if she was the executive director or the or the, the 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 nurse or the medical team leader, but essentially they had a couple come in for a pregnancy test. However, one looked like a man and one looked like a woman, but it turned out the one who looked like a man was the one actually interested in the pregnancy test, and and that was something that's a new scenario for for pregnancy clinics to have to deal with is someone with chest hair and who's presenting as a man, but yet has the biological makeup of a woman needing help and services. So that's the other scenario that I know of besides those who are going to a, an abortion clinic or a Planned Parenthood for uh, tea services. That's, that's right. That's right. And so from the perspective of the executive directors and board members, I hope there are board members watching as well, because the board members, strictly speaking, are the governing bodies. If these are a nonprofit organization, the board is really in charge, right? Um, and so I hope there are board members uh, paying attention to this as well. Um, the first talk that I gave was to just give a big picture overview of the sexual revolution and how all the moving parts kind of fit together so that people could have a perspective. That's based on my book, which I have on my shelf here called The Sexual State. Um, and so it's just a, an introduction to that. But then the second talk that I gave was really about legal protections for your clinic. So when you're dealing with this kind of surprising scenario, you know, and you're going, what? You know, that kind of thing. People have two concerns. The first is they're concerned how am I going to help this person? I don't really understand what's going on. What do I need to know in order to be able to help this person and serve them in a Christ-like manner? Okay, but the second question people are concerned about is, how do I keep from getting sued? <laughs> you know, what's going on in the legal environment? What am I allowed to say? What am I allowed to do? You know, so on and so forth. 
So um, the talks that I gave, there was one whole talk just on how to protect your how to protect your center. And um, I I'm not an attorney, so I'm going to give you that um, proviso right right off the shoot. But I consulted with several people, including people from the Alliance Defending Freedom. Now I don't know if you all are familiar with the Alliance Defending Freedom. I'm sure that many of you are. Uh, but they're a public interest law firm that helps Christians defend themselves, defend the religious liberty, and defend the right to life. They have come up with a whole list of documents, governing documents that your organization needs to have in order to have the maximum religious liberty protection. And in the talk that I just mentioned, you know, this is talk number two, legal protections for your PCC. Um, there's a whole list of those documents, and there's a link where you can link to ADF, and you can find their whole explanation and everything like that. Um, but it's very important that you get an attorney to help you with this. I would not recommend that you cut and paste what they have there. They don't want you to cut and paste, but you need to be aware. Um, and, and there are two basic uh, scenarios here. One is religious liberty generally. Religious liberty generally has been litigated a lot, and so they have pretty good idea what you need for maximum protection for your center. You need a statement of faith. You need um, policies that have to do with your scope of care, um, policies that have to do with your um, um, employee code of conduct, that kind of thing. You know, um, So you want to have all those documents ready and that you're committed to these policies before you have an incident. Because you don't want to make it up on the fly. That is a much, much weaker position for you to be in. So I, honestly, I just cannot emphasize this enough. You must do everything you can now before you have an incident um, to get your religious liberty protect protections as, as solid as they can be. Okay. I, I, and I think, um, it, so, so that's point one. The second point is what are the legal issues surrounding how you treat a person who presents as the opposite sex that, from what they're born. Um, are there things you're allowed to say, things you're not allowed to say? And the answer to that question, no one knows. Literally, no one knows. There was not one attorney who would commit themselves to saying this is what you're allowed to do and not do because there are federal rules, state rules, in some cases, city and locality rules, okay? So they can't make a general statement about that kind of stuff. So at the very least, you've got to have the, the basic religious liberty documents in place. And then for the rest, you know, we're all kind of trying to figure it out. And I will tell you this, it, I, in my opinion, there is most likely somebody at this very moment planning a lawsuit against a pregnancy care center. They are already thinking about what's the right jurisdiction in which to take this lawsuit. Well, well, what can? How do we set it up? Who do we send in there to target them? Um, and what outcome do we want that will be generally applicable, not just to the city of Cincinnati or something, but the whole country? You know, they are already thinking about that. I, I you know, I don't know that for a fact, but I think you need to assume. That that's the case, okay. So please don't wait another minute. You know, find go within your community. Those of you who are executive directors and board members, you have a lot of supporters in your community. Some of them are attorneys. I'm sure you've got attorneys who give you money. You go talk to them. 
you know, pick up the phone, schmooze with them, and say, wouldn't you like to be an ADF, an Alliance Defending Freedom allied attorney? They will help train you, and, and you help us get this done. You know, you don't want to just drag a lawyer off the street who does wills and trusts and say, help us do this. They they won't do it, you know. <laughs> they'll know they'll know. I I you need more expertise than I have, but I I just want to plead with all of your people. Please get this done. Don't wait. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think there's a majority of pregnancy clinics that are probably connected with uh, NIFLA, the uh, National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, and I know that NIFLA is very closely connected with ADF. In fact, when NIFLA went to the Supreme Court with a Nesla versus Vaquera over freedom of speech, uh, ADF was their attorney. And so mm-hmm. they, and they work very closely with ADF regularly along with other uh, legal groups. Um, and so when it comes to the benefits of being, uh, when, when it comes to being formed as a religious organization, can you talk about the benefits maybe in hiring practices and then what other benefits you might have recognized or seen? Well, I can't, uh, honestly, I, I'm not in a position to talk about that in a general way because everybody's situation is a little different. But if you are a religious nonprofit organization, there's a set of documents that you use to more or less demonstrate that, you know, and the things that you just mentioned are part of that package, you know, that you expect certain okay. code of conduct from your people. Um, you know, that if somebody, you've hired somebody and they have signed this impl- this statement saying, I understand this is the code of conduct, and then they turn around and decide they're going to be in a same-sex union or, you know, something like that, then you have do- grounds for dismissal because you've already told them. But if they, out of the blue and you haven't ever brought it up, it happens, now you got a problem. You know, I mean, if that's an issue for your, for your center. Um, so, yeah. so it's, it's, there's some general principles, but, but it's, but also it has to be adapted to your situation. Now, the other whole aspect of the, you know, the, tra- that has to do with the trans issue is, you know, who, who are these people who are coming to you and what are they thinking? And, you know, what is, go- what is going on with them? And again, th- there's a lot of complexity there. And I had a whole talk on understanding the trans minded client and, and that the term trans gets used in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and the reason for that, Jacob, is that transgender, the term transgender does not have a medically diagnosable objective meaning. You know, it's not like you can take a blood test or, or check somebody's chromosomes or you know, hormone levels or something like that. It's, it's not, there's nothing quite like that. It's self-identification. I'm trans because I say I'm trans. And people can say that for all kinds of reasons, right? And some of those reasons are going to, you know, are, are going to be, well, they're just all over the place. Mm-hmm. They can be all over the place. So you're, you're not really sure what you're dealing with. Somebody walks in the clinic with, for you. So um, the, the talk that I gave on this just kind of spells out some of the different reasons that people choose that T identity and what you might be dealing with when they come through the door, you know. Um, now the thing that you mentioned the 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 place where they the people didn't look the way you expect a man to look they didn't look the way you expect a woman to look this issue came up within our conversations you know in the two days that I spent um with the with the pregnancy care workers and one of the things we came up with I'm going to just throw this out there you might want to 
do some kind of desensitization training for your people, for your volunteers and your, you know, whoever's interacting with the public so that you don't go, you know, you know so that you are a little bit less apt to have that type of reaction. Um, you know, I don't know. For all I know, it's illegal for you to have a facial expression like that. You know what I mean? I mean, that could be where we're headed. But 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 the point is, if you're trying to serve people, freaking out in front of them is not helpful. Right. So it might be helpful um, for some of your workers to. And I don't know who does that training. You know, this is a this is a whole new thing. But um, but I, I think it's something worth thinking about. Well, and I think part of part of the purpose of this podcast is to share new ideas. And I, I, I believe that while there are people working in this new space, I feel like we're in the development stage of programs that need to be built. And, and, and so literally just sharing the idea that, Oh, there, it would be helpful to have training like this means that maybe someone will take that up because I don't know of a training like that. And there could be one that exists, but they're also there's obviously an opportunity for someone to to make it and help many groups um, with with uh, better responses and healthier and loving more more loving responses and being prepared for these new scenarios. That's right. That's right. And you know, <clears throat> they engaged me because I have a body of expertise. But I went in there and I learned so much from them. You know, because all of you who are doing this type of work, you are doing hand to hand combat for souls. You know, I mean, you are you are right there where the rubber meets the road with the sexual revolution. I'm like flying above here at 30,000 feet, dropping bombs or something like that. You guys are like right in the middle of it. And so I learned, oh, Jacob, I learned so much from listening to these ladies. But so I want to tell you one thing. I found out it is possible for a man to have a positive pregnancy test. Hmm. That doesn't prove he's pregnant. And I, I was like. What? What, you guys? You guys, what? Oh, my gosh. These nice ladies have drunk the Kool-Aid. What is going on here? No. What they say. <laughs> no. All a pregnancy test is, is it's a test. It tests for some levels of a, of a particular hormone. Okay. And if that hormone is elevated, it, it means that the woman is pregnant. Okay. And so there's a normal range for an un, a non-pregnant woman and a normal range for a pregnant woman. And there's kind of a gray area in between, you know. Um, but the point is, a man has those that has that hormone too, and the normal level for a man is way below what is normal for a pregnant woman. So if a man comes back with a positive pregnancy test, that is an abnormal finding, right? His no man should have that hormone that high, and they said to me, and I looked it up and verified this. It's it could be an indicator of testicular cancer. And mm. so, th you know, just think about it. So the the man is pretending to be a woman and wants a pregnancy test or he's deluded. Think, you know, whether he's pretending or deluded, it doesn't matter. But he comes and he wants a pregnancy test. Um, if if it turns out that he has a positive pregnancy test, he could be really sick with something that these ladies are in no position to help him with whatsoever. Right. I mean, that's way beyond anything that they can help them with. So here's what they came up with. I'm going to recite this to you. This was um, one of the groups over there. And, and they're, you know, we're all kind of feeling our way along here, but here's what it says. According to our policy, we are only able to offer services to clients that are biologically female. 
It is out of our scope of practice to perform pregnancy tests or ultrasounds, for example, on those who are biologically male. In the event that a client is a biological male and has a positive pregnancy test, this would be an abnormal finding and could indicate a medical issue that we are not equipped to address. The normal finding would be a negative pregnancy test. So in other words, they talk about, and another, another of the groups said something like, um, this is outside our scope of care, right? Because there's, and that's an important term, I guess, in medical places, right? I don't, I don't know anything about medicine, but th that's outside our scope of care. And so, you know, you really need, you're going to need to address this with someone else. We can't help you with this. Yeah, one of the. So that's uh, what they're trying. Yeah, one of the phrases that I, I've heard, there's a, a medical uh, legal expert, Tom, Tom Glessner, he often says that, we, you know, when it comes to ultrasounds, it's important to say we provide limited ultrasound services, limited as in we only look for certain things in certain scenarios. And I think the same thing, I never even thought, it never even crossed my mind that there could be a limited pregnancy test service, but essentially limited to females. We were bi biological females, right? Because I didn't even realize right. that there was another scenario available. <laughs> so no, no, I did. I of course I did. I did neither. The typical person would not. But 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 the point is that a lot of these women are because they are in the day to day trenches of dealing with this. Many of these scenarios have already come up, and they're already thinking ahead for it and stuff like that. Um, a couple of them told me that they already they have same sex couples, they have lesbian couples who come to them, and they serve them, and and they serve them with their, um, uh, what, what what do you call it? You know their classes and you know just a lot of different things. They they uh, certainly serve the 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 people regardless of their sexual orientation, um, hmm. but there's no medical service. You know the, there's not the issue of providing. Uh, obstet obstetric services or something to a man you know what i mean um that, that so, yeah. so they've already some of them some of them have already dealt with the scenario where two women come in and they need some kind of help or they ask for some kind of help and they just say okay we're going to give it to you you know we're, we're, we're going to help you here's where here's how you earn your baby clothes they have baby bucks and stuff like that and they have different rules about how you earn your baby bucks and so you can get your car seat and, you know um who can take the parenting classes and you know, just a lot of different scenarios like that that go into it. But but you need to think it through before they walk through the door. That's the main thing. You know, you don't want to be making it up on the fly. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like this is a new chapter for operational handbooks on, on you know, when, it, when a client has these demographics, here, here are some guidelines for what we should do that might be unique. Right, right. Um, so you said you, you discovered this two or three years ago. How did you come about discovering this or what was the flag or the signal that you saw that? Well, yeah. we, we were, we, we were just listening to people, you know, um, we had a, we had a conference, like I said, we had a conference, I forget which, which year it was, but we had a conference and we had in, in the room, um, there were people who were involved in sidewalk counseling. Um, and there were people who were involved in dealing with the trans issue in a variety of ways. And there was also a lady in the room who teaches natural family planning, um, you know, which is contraceptive free methods of spacing births and stuff like that. 
So anyway, there's this guy giving a talk on the guy who's done a lot of journalism um, on on the trans issue. And so there was a whole very active discussion around that because he's the guy, he writes for the Christian Post. His name's Brandon Showalter. He writes for the Christian Post and and heartbroken parents write to write to him, call him and say, well, how do I help my child? What do I do? How do I, you know, the, the, the school is breathing down our necks and, you know, so on and so forth. Anyway, so Brandon gave his talk and that sparked this conversation in the room, you know, with all these different people together. And somebody, you know, made the point, as I just said to you, yeah, I wouldn't have known it if that particular guy hadn't been there. Right. Uh, but he said, you know, we're noticing this and we don't know what to do. And um, and so that's that's what put us to work on that question. But one of the interesting things was in the in the course of that conversation, uh, Brandon said that trans medicine is the only area of endocrinology where the point of the medicine is to disrupt a perfectly functional hormonal system mm. for the sake of a social goal. You know, you these people have perfectly functioning endocrine systems. There's nothing wrong with their hormones. They have a social reason for wanting to change their hormones. And my friend who does natural family planning, the two of us looked at each other across the room and went, oh, that's not quite true, Brandon, you know, because the birth control pill and the Nuvar ring and, you know, all of those type of hormonal devices are means of disrupting perfectly functioning hormonal systems in order to achieve a social goal, you know, and so it's like, in some way, we've already been desensitized on that, on that kind of issue, you know, like, it's, it's okay for us to disrupt our healthy bodies because of something we want, you know, um, so anyway, mm. that that's how it worked for us, that's how we that that's a very Ruth Institute experience, by the way. You know, <laughs> you have people talking about a variety of things, and all of a sudden you're making connections. You know, of, um, yeah, you know, how these things fit together. Well, and I think I I, I remember like I, I I sort of knew that Planned Parenthood was working in this hormone space, but it never really dawned on me to respond to it. And then when I went to all these web these abortion clinic websites, I found. Planned Parenthood's website was only one out of 188 that I had visited. And so there were several like small county, well, single county, I, should, I guess I should say, abortion clinics, you know, servicing a certain area that were offering uh, the, the hormone services or the tea services. And, and so that's when I realized I, I did not expect to see these you know, relatively small, essentially many of these abortion clinics were offering three services. Abortion was my indicator whether or not they were an abortion clinic. And then many of them, about 70% were offering T services or hormones, uh, hormone changes, ads and remove, ads and blocks. And then the third service was usually something relatively normal looking or, you know, a regular medical service. And a lot of them offered three services, and yeah, the T was the second out of the three. Interesting. And it just made me realize that it almost sort of felt like with the Dobbs case that they were prepared for Dobbs, and then they fast-tracked the T in response to abortion becoming harder to provide. Um, it's, sort of, it's, it's sort of what my, my gut reaction was. Well, and and what you're reacting to is the profit motive uh, behind both the abortion services and the transgender services. You know, you're you're seeing 
this is a market. They're satisfying the market, but they're also pumping the market with propaganda. All of the pro-abortion, pro-trans um, uh, rhetoric is all a, a sales pitch, an indirect sales pitch for their services. And so every time um, anybody in the media or entertainment or anything like that uh, valorizes this stuff, it is in effect a, a commercial uh, for those type of services. And it, and it really is hmm. putting the profit motive ahead of the people. Um, so that's that's part of the world in which we live, isn't it, Jacob? It is. So as we wrap up this podcast, what are your final thoughts in this space? Um, yeah, what are your what would you like to say before we we wrap things up? Let me put my ears back in here. Yeah, I okay. I, I do think it. I I do think it would. I think it would be helpful for a lot of your people to be familiar with my book, The Sexual State, because I really go into it in detail, kind of how the government has promoted all of the sexual revolution, how the parts of the sexual revolution fit together, and how it's never been a really a mass movement. It looks like a mass movement now, but that was all uh, came from the top down, right? And the fact is, and I made this point when I was talking to the ladies in Cincinnati, the pregnancy care center movement is a women's movement. It is absolutely a women's movement. You know that, I'm sure. You know, you go to these meetings and it's 90% women, at least 90% women. Mm -hmm. Sometimes their husbands are along to carry their luggage or something, you know, but, um, and they, and they do have guys who, who come and, and counsel the fathers, you know, so you know, there's always a handful of guys, but basically it's a women's movement from the woman's heart serving other women, but we never get treated as the women's movement. You know, that's very interesting that somebody else hmm. always gets to be the women's movement and we're not the women's movement, even though we are, <laughs> you know, yeah. even though, um, yeah, you know, we don't count as a women's movement. And so I, I would like to offer that encouragement to people, you know, to understand that, um, that you have every right to think of yourself as the as, as an authentic women's movement, working for the benefit of women, working for the benefit of women who are being ignored by the current system, you know, women who want their babies, women who wish they had husbands, oftentimes women who wish they had more reliable partners, um, women who are watching their kids go through it, um, things that they know are going to not work very well, you know, and, and wishing that they had a better uh, social and cultural environment for their kids and grandkids to grow up in. You know, we are the women's movement um, and we never get the credit for that. So I would like to offer people that kind of encouragement and, and offer people to come over to the Ruth Institute, look at, look around at what we've got. We got a lot of stuff that I think that will be helpful to you, um, including these particular podcasts that I mentioned to you at the beginning. Um, but also, you know, if you're so inclined, whoops, if you're so inclined, um, the book, The Sexual State, I think will be helpful to you. Um, one of the big parts of this, I break it down that there are three parts to the sexual revolution. And the first and biggest part is the contraceptive ideology, which says that the a good society should separate sex and babies. Everybody should get to have all the sex they want without ever having a baby. And the biggest part of this book talks about that ideology and the propaganda behind it. And y'all in the pregnancy care center movement, um, the way they're talking about you, the way they're treating you, that's all part of the propaganda move, um, the, the psychological warfare, you could say, to prop up this 
you know, really irrational ideology that we're going to build a whole society where sex and babies are completely disconnected. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. How does that even work? How does that even work? (laughs) You know, that could be, Uh, but, but that's, that's what they want, you know? So. Wow. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, just being on here and sharing such good wisdom. Um, would you would you close out our podcast with a prayer with the expectation that those who are listening will will join in and uh join in on the prayer that you share? Um okay, well, you know, um Roman Catholics we have a tendency to have um, prepared par- prayers that everybody knows. So that's, if I do yeah, that, that's fine. that everybody knows then everybody knows it, but I, but I <laughs> you know like to share the share the 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 sentiment, you know, uh, the 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 plea um that 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 almighty god be merciful to us um yeah let me just let me let me just start um okay in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen lord god we ask you to have mercy on our country we've lost our way in so many ways and we know that we need you and we know that we don't deserve your mercy but we at what we plead for ourselves and for our countrymen and countrywomen our neighbors so many have lost their way and so we ask that you would be merciful to us, that you would enlighten us, and that you would that you would unharden our hearts, because so many of us have hardened hearts. And now I would ask all who can do so in good conscience to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and iRapture.com. The Pro-Life Team Podcast is a ministry of iRapture.com. If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team.